Now, as the offering is received, we will join in singing the hymn number 13, please. <clears throat> the hymn number 13, Rejoice the Lord is King, your Lord and King adore. Rejoice, give thanks, and sing, and triumph evermore. <clears throat> Keeping our seats while the offering is received. <clears throat> in prayer for a moment. Dear Heavenly Lord, we thank you, Lord, for this time in your house, Lord. We thank you for the word being brought before us. May you be with us and let us all be blessed by the word we hear. Lord, I ask you be with each and every one this day that they may honor you and your praise you, Lord, for your great God that you are. Thank you, Lord, for this time with your house. I pray this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now we're on the third verse. His kingdom cannot fail. He rules over earth. And let us all stand. Keep up the singing as we stand.
may be seated. We will read together the Word of God this morning in Ezekiel chapter 46. Ezekiel chapter 46, and we're commencing to read at verse 1. Verses 1 to 10 is our portion for reading. Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse 1. Thus saith the Lord God, the gate of the inner court that looketh toward the east shall be shut the six working days, but on the Sabbath it shall be opened, and in the day of the new moon it shall be opened. And the prince shall enter by the way of the porch of that gate without, and shall stand by the post of the gate, and the priests shall prepare his burnt offering and his peace offerings, and he shall worship at the threshold of the gate. Then he shall go forth, but the gate shall not be shut until the evening. Likewise, the people of the land shall worship at the door of this gate before the Lord in the Sabbaths and in the new moons. And the burnt offering that the prince shall offer unto the Lord in the Sabbath day shall be six lambs without blemish and a ram without blemish. And the meat offering shall be an ephah for a ram, and the meat offering for the lambs as he shall be able to give, and an hin of oil to an ephah. And in the day of the new moon it shall be a young bullock without blemish, and six lambs and a ram, they shall be without blemish. And he shall prepare a meat offering, an ephah for a bullock, and an ephah for a ram, and for the lambs according as his hand shall attain unto, and an hin of oil to an ephah. And when the prince shall enter, he shall go in by the way of the porch of that gate, and he shall go forth by the way thereof. But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn face, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate, and he that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. And the prince in the midst of them, when they go in, shall go in, and when they go forth, shall go forth. And we'll end a reading here at verse 10. May the Lord be pleased to bless the public reading of his word to each of our, our hearts. We will bow together in prayer as we come to the Word. Our loving Father, we do thank Thee this morning 
that we can gather together in this fashion. We have civil and religious liberty. Our lines have fallen in goodly places. We have the Scriptures in our own tongue, and we can hear Thy voice from Thy Word. And so we pray that Thou will give to us ears to hear and hearts to understand all that Thou wilt say unto us. O oh, draw near to us, every one, and, and quicken and revive our hearts, and draw them fervently after Thyself. We ask it in the Saviour's name. Amen. We want to draw your attention this morning to Ezekiel chapter 46 and the verse 9. The people are at worship. But when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast, he that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by the way of the south gate. He that entereth by the way of the south gate shall go forth by the way of the north gate. He shall not return by the way of the gate whereby he came in, but shall go forth over against it. Israel were a worshiping people. For the purpose, for this purpose, various solemn feasts were appointed. There were those annual feasts which the people were required to attend in Jerusalem. We think of the feast of the Passover or of unleavened bread. Then there was the feast of Pentecost or of weeks. And also there was the feast of tabernacles. On these momentous occasions, those who gathered to worship, they came before the Lord, for his dwelling place was in Zion. There in the temple, the Lord sat between the cherubim and communed with his people from off the mercy seat. What a wonderful manifestation the worshipers had of the divine presence in the cloud of glory that filled the temple. As the Lord was present in the temple of old, so he is truly present where his people gathered today in his name. The promise of his word and the experience of our hearts confirms that reality. We love the habitation of his house because it is the place where his honor dwells. Our text clearly indicates that those who frequented the temple on these awesome occasions, they did not do so in a haphazard, thoughtless way. Their entering and exiting of the temple was after a due order. We could put it like this. They had a code of conduct, a procedure to follow. 
What's the significance of all of this? The truth taught is practical, it's suggestive, it will be instructive and helpful in our worship before the Lord. So let us begin by thinking of the regulation, verse 9, when the people of the land shall come before the Lord in the solemn feast. Here's the regulation. He that entereth in by the way of the north gate to worship shall go out by, way, by the way of the south gate and vice versa. In other words, their movements in the temple were regulated in this way, so regulated as to prevent confusion and to keep order in their coming and going. God is a God of order and not of confusion. Orderly, orderliness is the stamp on all of the divine works. We, of course, often think of the work of creation. And there in John's Gospel, chapter 1 and verse 10, we are told that the Lord was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The Greek word for world is cosmos. It means arrangement, beauty, an orderly world. So as the world was created in the beginning, it was a cosmos. It was an exact and orderly creation. Think of the heavenly bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars. They are called the army of heaven. That's how they're spoken of in the Scriptures, the army of heaven, to indicate not only their power, but their discipline. Where you have an army of men, you have discipline. And where you have an army of men, you have arrangement, rank and file. There's order. And so with the heavenly bodies. When Peter, on the morning of the resurrection, when he got to the sepulcher, he went right inside. And this is what he saw in John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. Then cometh Simon Peter following him following John, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen clothes lie, and the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. When we read here of the linen clothes, that our Lord wore in his death, in his placing in the tomb. Those linen clothes, 
The thought is they are in their original folds. In their original folds. How unlikely it was then that the body of Christ could have been stolen either by foes or friends. If that had been the case, the linen clothes would have been scattered around hither and thither. But they were in their original folds. There is order here. There's a picture of how orderly the Lord is. And he gives us this command in the words of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and the verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. The words, of course, were spoken in the first instance to, to the people in Corinth. It was a cosmopolitan city. Many nationalities lived there. And the mix of languages led to confusion in the church meetings. Many were speaking publicly in their native tongues, and others had no idea of what was being said. There was segregation in the seating arrangement between men and women, and the wives were speaking over to their husbands to see if they could clarify what someone was saying. And since this was what was taking place, it is no wonder that we have this command in verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Our lives are not to be chaotic, disorderly, but regulated orderly, and especially when it comes to the Lord's house. We know that the Lord chose as his followers. He chose disciples. He often speaks of us who are his as disciples. And of course, in the name, there is the thought of discipline. The private aspects of our Christian lives are to be orderly, and so are our public duties. We're taught in Ecclesiastes 5 and verse 1, Keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God. In other words, we're to have our ways and our thoughts regulated and orderly. And this regulation, it had to do in, in our text with how they entered and how they left the house of God. And that is saying to you and I that we ought not to come to the Lord's house in a thoughtless, careless way, or to leave without pondering, meditating on what the Lord has spoken to us from his word. In Acts chapter 10, we learn about the opening of the door of faith to the Gentiles. And in verse 33, 
Cornelius is with Peter. Acts chapter 10 and verse 33. And Cornelius says, Immediately therefore I sent to thee, and thou hast well done that thou art come. Now therefore, Cornelius says, are we all here present before God to hear all things that are commanded thee of God? Cornelius and his associates, they are gathered together with Peter. They are present before God to hear all that the Lord will say. They're ready to hear not just the servant, but the master. And may our coming and going from the Lord's house be so regulated. So we have the regulation, but then secondly, we see the prostration. For these people in the temple in Jerusalem, in Zion, they have gathered to worship they are prostrating themselves before the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. There's an expression of awe and reverence in all of this. It was the custom of servants never to leave the presence of their king with their backs toward him. That would not have been counted, counted becoming. It would have been counted irreverent. And God requires of us reverence, adoration, when we come into his presence. David said, In thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. In thy fear will I worship. We think of when Jacob fled from Esau, having wronged him out of the family birthright. There in Genesis chapter 28, he traveled until darkness fell. He gathered a few stones for his pillow, and he lay down to sleep. Genesis chapter 28 and verse 17 he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place! This is none other but the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Here with his head on the stones, the Lord met with Jacob, and Jacob testifies, This is a dreadful place. In other words, it is a reverent place. He says, this is the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. This is Bethel. And we see prostration written all over Jacob's experience. God drew near, and Jacob trembled in the divine presence. Such was the glory and the wonder of Moses' vision of God at the burning bush. He took off his shoes. He knew 
He was on holy ground. Joshua met with the Lord. The Lord met with him. It was a Christophany, a pre-incarnation appearance of our Lord and Savior. And the Lord met with Joshua with the sword drawn in his hand. The account is in Joshua 5, verses 13 onwards. It came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in his hand. The Lord has appeared to Joshua. He went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And the Lord said, But as captain of the host of the Lord, am I now come? Joshua is in the Lord's presence. And look at verse 14. He fell on his face to the earth and did worship, worship, and said unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoe from off thy foot, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. Oh, there was prostration here. Joshua, in the presence of his Lord, Ours is a flippant age. There is a familiarity in many instances in worship that makes one shudder. And since coming to this land, I have spoken with believers who have been vexed and distressed. They have spoken of contemporary worship on its emphasis on entertainment. There's eardrum-bursting music. And if such loud music was in commercial settings, earmuffs would be a legal requirement. Oh, let us not lose sight of the reality when we come to worship that we're coming before our great God and Savior. And due reverence becomes our approach. We think of how Pharaoh sent for Joseph to interpret his dreams. Pharaoh the king was greatly alarmed by his dreams. And in Genesis chapter 41 and verse 14, Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon, out of the prison. And you can picture the scene. Joseph in his prison garb. And he has now heard the call to come and appear before the king. How did he react? Genesis 41, verse 14, tells us that he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh 
the king. He did not appear before the king in the prison garb. Oh, there was a preparation on, on Joseph's part ere he stood in the presence of the king. Modern thinking purposes to bring God down to a human level. What we are told in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and the verse 2, Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God, for God is in heaven. He is upon earth, he is upon the throne, and thou upon earth. Therefore let thy words be few. Many today they speak of God in human terms. They speak of the man above. God is not the man above. He is God of very God. He is Jehovah, the strange fire of our reverence must not be in the censer of our worship. In the wilderness temptation, Satan urged the Lord there in Matthew chapter 4. He urged the Lord in verse 9 to fall down and worship him. And then Matthew 4 and verse 10, Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the word worship that occurs here has the picture of the family pet, the dog, as it crouches, prostrates itself in the presence of its master, showing reverence, fondness, and adoration. Oh, may you and I serve God in these days with reverence and with godly fear. The Lord is to be had in reverence of all those that are about him. So there is the regulation and the prostration but there is the thought here of the continuation in verse 9. Following this procedure meant that no one turned back. They were always progressing, going forth. Do you see that phrase in our text? They shall go forth, go forth. And this is always the Lord's purpose for us, to continue with himself. The word came to Moses at the Red Sea in Exodus 14 and verse 15. Speak unto the children of Israel that they go forward. And Hosea chapter 6 and verse 3 urges us to follow on 
to know the Lord. Oh, there's to be a continuation in our walk with God. The Lord tells us, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Paul can say in Hebrews 10, verses 38 and 9, we are not of them that draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We are not like Lot's wife to even look back. We are to say with Paul, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Joshua, before he went the way of all the earth, he had closing instructions for the people of Israel. In Joshua chapter 23, he said to them in verse 7 that they were not to make mention of idle gods. They were not to serve them nor bow themselves before them. Verse 8, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. We're learning here that it was the practice of these peoples, these people heretofore, to cleave unto the Lord. And Joshua says, cleave unto God as you have done up till now. Let there be no slippage. Oh, may there always be a following on to know the Lord, a going on with God. And then there is the transformation. These people attending the annual feast, they did not go out of the temple as they went in. If they entered by the north gate, we have seen that they left by the south. And so when we come to the Lord's house and sit at his feet and hear his voice in his word, it is to this end that our lives be transformed into the divine image. There's a reference here in Ezekiel 46 and verse 10 to the Lord in the midst, the prince in the midst of them. The Lord is in the midst when we meet in his name. And we cannot be in his presence and not be transformed. That's the teaching of 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. We all with open face, beholding as in a glass, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Oh, as you look at the Lord in the mirror of his word, so your life is being set apart, conformed to the divine image. 
Think of Moses. He was in the presence of the Lord 40 days and 40 nights there on Mount Sinai. And the skin of his face shone as a consequence. His countenance reflected the beauty of the Lord. Jacob, having met with the Lord at Peniel, the Lord touched the hollow of his thigh, which meant that his walk was never the same again. May it be true that we will not go away from the meeting place as we came. May the Lord put his hand on our lives and conform them to himself. Peter and John, before the council in Jerusalem in Acts 4, the verse 13 says that they took knowledge. The members of that persecuting council in Jerusalem, they took knowledge of Peter and John that they had been with Jesus. In the Lord's presence, there was a transformation that took place. And may that always be the case when we come and go from the Lord's house. There is a hint in our text, too, as we close, of the journey of our lives. The journey of our lives takes us from one gate, the gate of our birth, and it takes us to the gate of our death. That distance from our birth to our death, it is comparatively short when measured with eternity. David said, there is a step between me and death. Only God is clothed with immortality. The gate of the city, verse 2 indicates, was open till the evening, and then it was closed. And the gate of gospel opportunity will not always be open. We remember the parable of the parable when the bridegroom came, the gate was shut, and the foolish, the unprepared, the unready, were excluded. Oh, do not play the fool with God's salvation. The mercy of God in Christ has kept your soul out of hell to this moment. The Lord in his long-suffering mercy and grace has given you this his day to hear his word, this golden opportunity to prepare to meet God. Now is the time. Now is the time to seek the Lord, for 
tomorrow may be eternity. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. God hath said, My spirit shall not always strive with man. O unconverted soul, as the Lord speaks to you, may you open your heart's door. May you bid the Savior enter while you may. May you come just as you are with all your sin, with all your unworthiness. The Lord has promised him that cometh I will in no wise cast out. May you come to the gospel life gate and enter in while you're in time. It's too late in the great eternity. May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts. We will join in singing the hymn number 16. The hymn number 16, To God be the glory, great things he hath done. So loved he the world that he gave us his Son, who yielded his life an atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in. The words, I'm sure, are very familiar to us, so let's really sing it well as we stand. The number 16.
thank thee for thy precious word. And, o Lord, we have discovered that in the work of creation, it was a cosmos, an orderly, an orderly arrangement. And we pray that all of our lives will bear the stamp of orderliness. We pray that thou will help us, Lord, in our coming and going from the place of the holy to revere thee, to have thee before us, the one who is infinite, eternal, unchangeable in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And we pray there will always be a prostration and awe a reverence in our approach to thee. And we pray that thou wilt bring others to the joy of knowing the Lord, knowing sins forgiven. Oh, we pray that none will leave this service still without the Lord, still on the broad road, perishing in their sin. Oh, bring precious souls to thee and glory to thy great name. Abide with us today in our homes. Help us, Lord, to keep this day. Bring us again in the evening time. And we pray in all things, thy great name will be extolled. Part us in thy fear, and with thy blessing, we ask it in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.